Hello everybody, I hope that you're well. I have a lot to say about this situation, and if you check out my podcast, um, Jewish Trauma Network, you'll see some ideas there. I'm not going to post it here because it has a mixture of psychology as well. Um, what I want to share with you is part of the Geula. The Geula is Torah, Limitat Torah. And there's a new book that came out a few weeks ago called Rav Shmuel. It's a story of Rav Shmuel Arbach. And I want to say that even though my Rebbe, Rav Asher Zelig Rubenstein Zatzal, considered him his Rebbe, and they knew each other from Itri, which I'll talk about. They were, I don't even want to say they were co-Rabbeim, because my Rebbe would smack me if I said that. Um, Rav Asher Zatzal was a uh, mashkiach and, and magichir there, and Rav Shmuel was a gadol who was there. That, that, that's how my Rebbe would say it. And um, they formed a very, very close relationship, a very beautiful relationship. And I want to say that um, I met Rishmuel multiple times in my life, and I was hesitant to pick up the book because I myself was a little bit tainted by the last two years of his life, where a lot of his Talmudim were doing some very, very fanatical things. But I've learned um, subsequently from speaking with a lot of people that Rishmuel himself was not involved with many of the very dysfunctional things that were going on in his name. And uh, this is not the place to go into it, but I, I will say that Eitan Kobri, first of all, is a masterful author. Second of all, there's a lot of amazing, relevant things. But third of all, most importantly, um, he really does a very, very sensitive job, and, and all the way at the end of the book, actually, not at the beginning at all, really clarifying a lot of what was going on. And he proves very, very clearly that the things that Rav Shmuel himself, Rav Shmuel Arbach Zatzal himself, were saying were really based on Rav Shach and other Gedolim, um, Rav Yashiv, etc., etc. So um, I, I encourage you to look at that with an open mind because I myself didn't fully understand what was going on and, and um, my Rebbe Rav Asher Zatzal uh, you know, predeceased his own Rebbe in 2013 um, and um, I, I never heard from him exactly. But I, I, I do, I do want to sprinkle through a couple of interesting stories um, from my own experience with Rishmuel. One thing that always took me about him was that he had a phenomenal smile on his face. Um, and I want to start off with a story. There, there, there's a story here that one of, two of his Talmidim from Milo Satora were taking a walk, and um, one of them was attacked by a female um, a terrorist and unfortunately was murdered. And this, this caused a tremendous upheaval um, in, in, in the community. And, and of course, Rishmuel and, and all of his Talmidim were extremely heartbroken. Rishmuel delivered a beautiful husband in honor of his Talmud, who had been literally walking by a soccer field with, with another friend and... and um, just talking and learning it, and it literally was murdered in cold blood. And the challenge was that after the Leviah, the Talmudim came to Rishmuel and said, Rebbe, we're, we're at a loss. Um, there was just this brutal Leviah for a murder, but yet one of the Talmudim in the yeshiva is getting married. What do we do? How in the world could we approach this? And is it appropriate for us to attend? And Rishmuel said that there's a time for everything. There's a time for mourning, and there's a time for um, celebrating. And we have to give this Talmud who's getting married the Simcha and be there for him, just like we would have had this not happened. Um, and then, of course, once the wedding's over, then we'll go back to our mourning. And literally, that's exactly what they did. They went from a Leviah, then they went to a wedding, and they danced with a lot of vigor and love, and then they came back to Yeshiva, and they all cried together, including Rishmuel. And I think this perspective really helps answer a lot of questions that people have about how to, how to be reacting now. There's one more point that um, I heard from Rav Asher Zatzal, and that is that when I was in Eretz Yisrael in 2001, there was an antifada there, and uh, there were times where war was looming, and there were things that were going on, a lot of terrorist attacks, etc., etc. And there was one time where the government gave out gas masks and etc., etc. And Rishmuel was was the nasi of the yeshiva, and he wasn't just a, a, a um, you know just a name on paper, uh, a board member. He he literally was actively involved in the yeshiva in many many ways. And Rabasher 
told over the, the story that he went to go speak to Rishmul about what to do. You know, what should I tell the parents? What should I tell the Talmidim? And Rishmul brushed him off, even though normally he had answered him very, very clearly. And Rishmul brushed him off and said to him, I'm in the middle of learning a, a difficult sugi in Parakura, which I'll, which I'll make a comment about at the end. And he said, why are you interrupting my learning? And so Rav Usher came back, and he understood his Rebbe very well. And, and this this story repeated it. I, I saw it in the book, and I saw it. In many, I heard it from other people as well. Rav Usher got it, and he said, "Rishmuel is telling me that if you're Osik in Torah, you're going to be protected." And the yeshiva, they did satisfy some of the parents. They did give out gas masks, but they really didn't make any arrangements uh, or any changes. And everybody shagged, and it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. And um, I know that during the Gulf War, there were a lot of shilas about what to do. And Rav Scheinberg used to, you know just learn through it um of course anybody that was scared was able to go to to the um to the safe you know bomb shelters and, and i'm not telling anybody the poskin otherwise but this idea that just like the chazanish said that you know b'nei brak is safe because it's welcome torah or poskin that as well there's what to think about anyway so that's some personal stories with her shmuel one thing that always you know got me about him was he had a phenomenal smile just like his father beautiful smile beautiful friendly tone okay so i'm gonna go through some of the books stories and and I, I will say that there are three things that really really took me um, and, and really really got me in a very very deep way uh, one thing about the book is that you see the tremendous chesed behind the scenes that Rashmul did for especially um, Yisowim and Almanas but just in general his geonis and chesed that was there and I haven't read a book like this in a while um, where I heard about that geonis of it um, since Rav David uh, fine scenes that's all passed away and he was also known as a gona chesed and it's phenomenal uh what rishmuel did and it really really inspired me in, in, in a phenomenal way the second thing is this hasmatas hatora i mean i remember of usher once told me this um told us holy yeshiva that he went to see rishmuel one time and rishmuel was literally on the floor crying and he asked the talmud oh my gosh what happened did somebody in the family pass away was there a basura and they and and, and rishmuel heard and he said yes there was a basura and then he said oh I'm sorry well, what's going on Rishmuel said that someone was talking to me and learning and quoted a Yerushalmi and I forgot the Yerushalmi. That's a basura. And if you think about that, like that, that's a tragic thing. Uh, Rishmuel was a tremendous genius. And, and of course, when people get older, sometimes they, they you know, they, their memory slips. This man was in his 80s at the time of the story. And yet that was a basura to him because he forgot a piece of his Torah. And that's that's a phenomenal thing. Um, so his chesed and his asmata, I mean, literally, the, I've heard this from other people as well. He literally... Um, his wife passed away at age 58. And from that time, Rishmuel was around the same age as her. He was about 59, 60 at the time. And for the next 25 years of his life that he was Almona, Almon, uh, a widower, um, he literally lived in the base Medrash and he slept in the base Medrash. Like everybody says that he was there all day long and all night long. And he would maybe doze off for a few hours here and there. But anyway, so let's go through the, um, some of the stories and I'm going to be brief because I want you to read the book yourself, but I want to bring out what I understand from it. And I'm also supplementing some of the stories from other places that I've read them. So on page 19, it talks about um, Rav Avram Dov Beryl Arbach. Um, and it talks about the, the um, descendants um, that came from him. Um, so basically, Rav Chaim Leiv and, and Rebbe Sivia um, um, were born um, where the father, that was the father and mother of Rosh Zalman Arbach. And um, his father was Rav Ram Dov Arbach, which I'm not going to talk about. Anyway, so this man, Rav Chaim Leiv Arbach, he was a he was a very famous posek in Eretz Yisrael. It's Rosh Hashanah Zalman's father, and he was very close to the Rosh Chaim Zanenfeld. There's a very famous story that Rosh Chaim Zanenfeld met Rosh Hashanah Zalman at the Kosel and asked him a famous kasha. Not for now. Okay. Anyway, Rosh Hashanah Zalman cried. It's a whole it's a whole story. Not for now. 
Okay, so, because um, otherwise I'm just going to keep get, getting distracted with all different stories. So Rav Chaim Leiv um, was a very practical Rav. And this shows, like, the, the, the fifth volume of Shulchan Aruch called Seichel and practicality. Anyway, so long story short, there was a woman that came from Europe, and she said that she had gotten a get from her husband, and she was free to get married, remarried, um, but she lost it. And obviously this, this causes a lot of problems. If a woman says that she's divorced, we have to believe her to a certain degree, but there has to be a proof. And there are other versions of a story that clearly say that there was a lot of money at stake as well, that she was demanding, etc. Anyway, so she went around to the Rabbanim, and, and basically a lot of people brushed her off, but she was getting pretty frantic. So finally she came, but people were very suspicious of her claim. So she came in front of Rechaim Leiv, and he said, I will help you. Sit down, I just need to ask you a couple of questions. So he asked her a couple of questions, and he heard that it was a very reputable Rav who was involved with her get. So he said to her, I have to ask you an important question, and this is really, this is my final question, and I, I want to just make sure I understand, and then I could, I'll write you a letter, and I'll, I'll support you once I just get all the facts, and, and, and I could verify everything. So he said, normally when a, when a woman gets married, um, in order to signify the, the bond, she walks around her husband seven times in order to show that, um, that, she, that, that her life revolves around him, and there's, there's, a, there's a bond. So when a person gets, gets divorced, as you know from the uh, divorce proceeding that you were at, so there's different minhagim. Some people walk around the husband tw uh, backwards uh, in order to reverse that. Some people do it two times. That's, that's the amount. Some people do it seven um, to uh, signify a full divorce. So I just want to know, this rub, was he machmer, or did he do the mekel shita? So she looked at him in the eye, and she said, Oh, we, were, we did everything L'Chumra. We did the full seven times backwards in order to reverse the marriage. So um, Rev um, Chaim Leif said, are you sure? She said, absolutely. I, I absolutely remember a thousand percent. That's exactly what happened. He yelled at her and said, you're a liar. Get out of here. There's no such thing. I made it up. There's no such custom like that. Obviously, I see that you're a filthy liar. And I don't know if you use the word filthy. I probably didn't talk that way. She broke down crying and admitted that she was lying. So you see that you have to be a big ball of seichel in order to be able to deal with people. Okay, let's talk about Rishmol. So, um, <coughs> Rishmol grew up in a home where Rishmol Zalman infused in them the importance of being a Talmud Chacham. So on page 45 it says that Rishmol Zalman often told the story of two wagon drivers from Sokolov, a Lithuanian town, uh, where many of the Vilna Gons Talmidim lived. And they were talking and learning these wagon drivers, and one of them said a Ha'ara, the other one said, hey, there's a Mishnah in Taurus that, that shows that you're wrong, you can't contradict the Mishnah. And the other one said, oh my gosh, you're right, I forgot that Mishnah. So he immediately sold his wagon and horse and returned to the base matters full time and spent the next two years reviewing his learning till he was confident that that from this horrific experience that he went through, how can he not be a Talmud Chacham? Then he could go back to business. So Rishon Zalman would say, "This is a pushit yid from Sakhalov. You can imagine, you know, how great these people were." Now, I just want to clarify that people hear these stories and they sometimes say, "Well, that is no shaykhus to me." It actually does have shaykhus to you because if Torah is your main focus of life, no matter what you do on the side then you have that greatness in you. And yes, there were plenty of people that were off the derech, plenty of people that weren't interested in Yiddishkeit, plenty of people that did plenty of horrific things even back then. But the point is that there was a simplicity that also was there, and, and that's really, really important. Um, page 61. Rav Meir Tzvi Bergman, Rav Shach's son-in-law, said that um, that Rav Shmuel Arbach used to visit the Chazanish. And by the way, Rav Shmuel, like many gedolim, um, held that the Chazanish was like like the Vilnagon of, of the world. Um, he, obviously, there, he, in fact, he even, he even told one of his Talmidim that any day that he learns a Chazanish shtickle, he doesn't have to learn Musser because it has such an impact on him, which is a phenomenal statement of greatness that he, he saw the, the umul that, that the Chazanish put into his learning, 
And that, that is what Musr is all about. Anyway, so basically, Rishmuel used to visit um, Chazanish, especially towards the end of his life in 1953. And so Rishmuel stopped visiting. So Rishmuel was friends with Rechaim Kanievsky. And he asked, so Rechaim came, came to him and said, why don't you visit Chazanish? So so Shmuel said, at a Derek Haritz, because I see that he's really, really tired and he's, he's really sickly and he's not up for it. And, and, and my conversations are very strenuous for him because they were, you know, arguing and learning. So, so Rav Chaim Kanievsky said, you're wrong. He said, he is exhausted when you come, but he's so invigorated and enlivened by speaking to you and learning that it's amazing. And he, he gets a new life every time you come. Please come visit him. And that's amazing. That's such a beautiful thing to to see how the Gedolim, that they get power from Torah, which is which is a beautiful thing. Torah is, is being plugged in. So even if it's tiring because you're being Amal, but it's still invigorating as well. Page 167, beautiful rebuke. And again, one of the things that I remember about Rishmuel is he had, beautiful, he had a beautiful smile, a beautiful way, very, very pleasant man. Um, I spoke to him a few times. Rav Asher sent me there a few times. Again, not for now. Couple of private stories as well, as well. But just the, the the sweetness and the love that his Talmudim had for him, and the love he had for Klai Yisrael was phenomenal. So anyway, he was very very kind when he gave rebuke. So one time there were some people that were coming to try to speak to him, and one kid, one young young man, was pushing the other people very very disrespectfully, and people thought that maybe Rishmuel didn't see it, but Rishmuel did see it, and so Rav um, Rishmuel wanted to give this man muster, but he also wanted to be kind, and so he said to the boy softly. The boy finally pushed his way through very violently, and Rishmuel took his hand, and he said, uh, um, and, and the boy kind of demanded a bracha. So Rishmuel took his hand and said to him, um, I give you a bracha that you should be a mensch. So then the boy kind of realized that he was caught, and he was a little bit embarrassed. Again, it was just in private. And Rishmuel said to him, "New, why don't you say amen and v'chein lamar? Say the same thing for me. We all need to be a mensch. So he he cushioned his musr with love as well. Um. So another thing was that, um, which one did I want to quote? Yeah, um, there's something very, very classic about Rishmuel that he he was Mechadish's own way of Torah. And again, throughout the book, they quoted many people, Shabina Rav and other people that said about Rishmuel Arbach that he was greater than his father, Rishul Mazalman Arbach. I, I don't know who has a right to say that. I'm not questioning people, but like I don't know how you compare you know, different Gedolim, but but yes, Rishmuel was a tremendous Bucky. One thing I'll say that um, I, I when I watched him um, Davin uh, Marv a, a number of times, so he was very emotional and very, very, you know, when he stood in front of Hashem, it was very, very beautiful to watch him Davin in. His feels were very long, by the way, as well, and he, he didn't have a wife waiting for him, he didn't have children waiting for him, he never had children. Um, but when he said Shema, he actually followed the Shulchan Aruch, which I rarely see anyone do this. It's not our Minog, whatever it is, but he covered his hands, with, he covered his face with both hands. And really, the Gemara says that, and, and the Shulchan Aruch brings it down too. But Armin, I guess, to cover it with the right hand, but he literally, he followed Halacha. He was Medaktik Kachud Asara. And one of the things I said I was going to talk about, Parakira, is that he spent a large part of his life studying Shabbos. And it's probably because the Pasuk that we say in the Aftorah for uh, Tainus Chalom, uh, sorry, Tainus Sibor, um, is that Kol Amar Hashem Lesurisim, um, that um, you should study Shabbos. And um, what's it called? Vinasati lechem chomasa yad vashem tov mi banu banos. That um, a person that can't, doesn't have children, there's a big Indian that he should study Hilchashavas. And you see that the Chazanish was Machadish, he also had no children. 
Um, him and his wife were not able to have kids, a whole story in itself, but basically they were not. One of the reasons they moved to Eretz was to try to have this close to Eretz We've talked about this in the past. So anyway, um, basically, I, I think that that's one of the reasons that he spent so much Amul in Hilcha Shabbos. And one of the fascinating things about him is that the Shemir Shabbos Kolchasa is Rav Neiverth, that's all, who quotes all the basically heterim of, um, of Rosh Hashanah Zalman Arbach, and some from the Chazanish as well. And the Archa Shabbos is Rosh Talmidim, who quote all the Isurim. He was very, very machmer in Hilcha Shabbos in many ways. And um, he was cholig with his father, respectfully, but on, on many, many pratim of Hilcha Shabbos. So you'll find that it has an Eretz Yisrael Starkite, which, you know, the, the Shemir Shabbos Kachasa was for its time, and it's Neskabal and Kalei Yisrael as a, uh, as a source for Hilcha Shabbos. Um, but the Archa Shabbos definitely represents a, um, you know, an Eretz Yisrael Chumra approach. And um, there's some very, very important things in there as well. Anyway, so Rosh Hashanah would talk about how every person has to be their own individual for learning. And for example, he would quote that the um, the Chassam Sovers of Pshat, it says, it was, the Pshat was that because they were copying him and they weren't being themselves. The Ritva basically says this, he says they didn't do it with Shemaim, but the basic idea is that they weren't being themselves. And one of our jobs in life is to be ourselves. Everybody else is already taken. Um, and, and so Rosh was himself, and that was very, very important. Um, there's a story in here, which I actually spoke this year by Ne'ilah in the shul that I was at. And I said this story because it was so impactful. But I want to, before I say this story, I have to give an introduction to the story. Rishmuel was medoctic in mitzvahs kachodasara. And please don't misinterpret this story. Um, Rishmuel's life was, he got married in his young 20s, married Rachel, his wife. Very, very big tzadikis, very, very hush of woman that Rishmuel himself said about her, that he, she protected his eyes and her tefillos were, were amazing and her chesed was amazing. And, and he said, you know, he doesn't know anyone as amazing as she is. And if you read his hesped in the book about his wife, you'll you'll see what a real connection, what, what a real Torah marriage looks like. Anyway, so um, there was a time where they were doing fertility treatments and they were basically at the time where it was not going to be possible to have kids. But a new fertility treatment came out, and I'm not going to go into the exact details. The book doesn't, but I, I think I understand what it is from that time period, etc. But basically, it had a certain shyla about whether a person was allowed to, you know, be osik in it. And Rosh Hashanah Arbach had, had been asked about it, and he also was struggling to find a heter for it. And when he found out about it, he thought of his son Shmuel, and he came to visit him. And he said, "Did you hear about this new intervention?" And Rosh Shmuel said, "Yes, I, I, I was told about it. My wife and I were told about it." Um, and Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbal said, "No, you should you should try it." So he so he said, "Tati, I want to ask you, is it mutter lekuliyama?" So Rav Shlomo Zalman said, "No, it's not. There are po- there are many poskim that would argue with me and say that it's not allowed for different reasons. But for you, it's full, it's fine." And again, I, since I understand the intervention, I understand as far I could probably explain it more if you want. You could reach out to me and I could try to explain to you why he said that, what that means. I I, I think I understand it because of the literature that we have from from the Tzitzeliezer and other poskim that talk about this topic. But anyway. Uh, or Moshe Feinstein as well. So um, he told his father, he said, my wife and I, and again, please do not do this on your own. My wife and I were macabre that we're not doing any intervention that isn't 100% mutter and endorsed by every single posik. And Lishitasim, they probably held that that's Ratzon Hashem. And therefore, if Hashem wants them to have a child, they'll have a child and through whatever interventions are sent their way. But if not, they're not doing it in a way that's not 100% Kadas Moshe Vistral. And Roshomo Zalman was macabre that. So he was medoctic, in mitzvahs, kechud asara. Um, and again, nobody should pask in that way for themselves. It's don't. That's one of the dangers of inspiring stories are people that misuse them. So with that in mind, here, listen to this story. So there was a Talmud in 
Milo Satora of Rishmul that went off with Derek, unfortunately, and he became a strange Ramudishkeit. But people did keep in touch with him. And at one point, Rishmul asked, he wanted to go visit his old Talmud. And the Talmud was receptive. So there was an idea that, you know, maybe he'd be able to help him. So they go to his house with Rishmul goes with his Gabai, and he asks his Gabai to bring food, make sure there's bread. We want to we want to eat a meal with him. Fine. So they visit him. The time comes, they show up, he lets his Rebbe in, lets the Gabai in, and Rishmul says, We have to wash. Okay. Rishmul tells you to wash, you wash. So they wash, they have a beautiful meal, they schmooze, they talk, nothing too heavy. So at the end of the meal, Rishmul says, We have to bench. Could you please get a coast of wine? So the Talmud is thinking, he says, And get me non bushel wine. Now just to zoom out, non-mavushal, non-big cooked wine means that there's a problem with Yain Nesach. So if this Talmud, who is a Mechal Shabbos or Hesse, who's off a derech, touches it and pours it for his Rebbe, or touched it at all, it's a problem of Yain Nesach. So how in the world could Shmuel ask this Talmud, who's off a derech and a Mechal Shabbos or Hesse, to get him this Yain Shemavushal, which would call, be Yain Nesach? So the Talmud demurs and says, Rabbi, let, let, let's not use a kos. We don't need it. It's a weekday. We, what's the point? And Rishmuel insisted, no, go get a new bottle and bring it here right now. Fine. So the Talmud hesitates, but he goes. And he brings it and he pours it for his Rabbi and they bench. So the Gabbai, his eyes are popping out because he knows Rishmuel has medaktik mitzvahs. Anyway, fast forward a few months later, this, this old Talmud was off of Derek. He comes back to the yeshiva and he says, that I have such a pachad for my Rebbe that as soon as, after that conversation, my heart was opened up, and as soon as I, I, I was about to touch the wine, I said, I'm a Mechal Shabbos for Hesia. How can I give him Yayin Esach? I'm a Kabbal myself to do a full tshuva, and I will keep Shabbos from now on. And therefore, when I picked up the wine, it wasn't Yayin Esach, and I poured my Rebbe a coast, and we benched. That's the belief that Rishmuel has. So I said by an ilah, that Tashiv Anush Adaka, Hashem crushes us sometimes, and he says, Repent. And this is when you have that awe for your Rebbe and for Torah, you could come back because you appreciate what you should be doing. And this Talmud appreciated what he should be doing, and Rishmuel jump started him to come back, which is amazing, amazing, and beautiful, and beautiful. Okay, um, so. Rishmuel said a beautiful shot that sometimes we cry out to Hashem and. Um, were not answered. Kaylee, Kaylee, Lama Zavtani Hashem, why did you forsake me? If you look into Hillam 22. But he said the answer is because Rachok Mishuasi Divres Shagasi, because your tefillah is not the Yeshua that you need. And sometimes you think it is, but it's not true. It's not true. And um, the. Um, there's a Talmud of Roshmul Mazalman Arbach that who quoted, he said that Roshmul Zalman himself said about Roshmul, I knew he was great, but I didn't realize how great he was, which is which is an amazing thing. Which is an amazing, amazing thing. And that story that I just quoted is on page 216 with the uh, fertility. And again, please do not misinterpret that. Okay. Um, so... A Talmud lost his wife, Rahman al Tzlan, page 225, and he asked Rishmuel to deliver the Hespit of the Leviah. So um, the Rishmuel told him that at a wife's Leviah, he said, at my own's what, my, my, I am the only one that gave a Hespit, and it's a, it's a, to be Mosphet a wife is an obligation of the husband, which the Mishnah says, and that's Allah. But he said, let me tell you one thing, he said Rishmuel. Quote the Pasuk, Hashem Nasim Hashem Lakach, like everybody quotes, but most people they talk about the Hashem Lakach part. Hashem took this person from us. But the emphasis should be Hashem Nasan. Think about the gears and the greatness that you've got. Um, and that's an important lesson in life. Think about the beautiful things that you got and you had from this person. So 
there was a um, Talmud, page 362. Rav Ofer Hyman was a very, very close Talmud of Rishmul, Badal Chaim, and Rav Ofer's wife was in labor, and um, basically there was an emergency issue there in, in the hospital. So Rav Ofer ran to his Rebbe, and he asked to he asked his Rebbe to daven, and the Rebbetzin both um, started davening and davening and davening. And um, eventually, everything Baruch Hashem went through very well, and she gave birth, and she was healthy, the baby was healthy, so Rav Ofer later, you know, took care of his wife, got her settled in, and ran back to Rishmul's house to wish him a mazel tov. So the Rebbetzin asked, what time was the baby born? So he said, 3.12 a.m. So the Rebbetzin said, after you left, Rashiva took it to him, and he started davening. And then finally, he just said, okay, it's enough, we said enough. And he opened his Gemara, and he started learning. And I looked at the clock, it was 3.12. Wow. Rishmul overheard his wife's words and called out, what are you going to say now, that I have Ruch HaKodesh? So, and they both laughed. So the rover said, yeah, obviously. So Rishmuel said, you're wrong. That's not what it is. He said, I'll tell you what you should learn from here. You should learn how much I love you and care about you. And I care and I, and, and I feel your troubles. And so therefore, since I felt your trouble, as soon as you had a Yeshua, I felt the relief in your heart because I love you so much. And therefore, I knew at 312 to stop davening. So it's a very anti-Hasidish, <laughs> Litvish, even though they, he had Hasidish blood, by the way. Um, so um, that's that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful lesson of a Rebbe, by the way. Uh, Rav Ofer tried to retort back and said, "But I didn't even feel my issue. I didn't even appreciate it." So I think it's your Ruach Hakodesh, Rebbe. But the point is that I'm connected to your heart. Um, what a beautiful lesson of a Rebbe. Um, there is a very very fascinating thing. I'm going to skip the story because there's a lot to say. Okay. All right, here's another. Um, there was a woman that was sitting Shiva, and again, take this with a grain of salt because there's a lot of stories about how he was Menachem Avel and everyone got a different lesson. So he was being Menachem Avel, a bereaved widow, and he came back. Oh, actually, this is an amazing story. He, Rishmuel went to a um, Leviah, and he thought that the... I'm sorry, Rishmuel went to be Menachem Abel, someone in the neighborhood. And after he came out of the house, one of the Talmidim said, Oh, Rebbe, I, I told you the wrong message. It wasn't um, his uh, daughter that passed away. It was his wife. So Rishmuel said, Oi, I have to go back. So he went back. So the Talmud said, Why do you have to go back? You were just Menachem Abel. He said, It's a different type of Nichem when it's somebody's wife. And I didn't have the right kavanah, so I didn't have the right you know, intent and, and, and messages. So he went back. So again, you see how much clarity he had. Anyway, so he went to be Menachem Abel, a, a, um, an almana, and she was just bereft, and she wanted to talk to him. So he said to her softly, I have no mother, I have no father, I have no children. I had a wife who was a tzaddika. A Baruch who took her from me very suddenly. His wife had a medical issue at age 58, and ended up in the hospital for three weeks, where he did not leave her side for the entire three weeks. And it's an amazing story in, in the book. Some type of aneurysm of some sort. Um, and she died at age 58. No children. And Rishmuel said, every day I go home to four walls, but despite that, I go on. So the woman looked at him and said, fine, but you're an Adam Guttel. And if Hashem saw it fit to give you this Nisayan, I'm sorry, she said, you're an Adam Guttel. So Rishmuel looked at her and said, and if the Rebona Shalom gave you this Nisayan, then you're an Isha Gadola. You're a great woman. Now, again, you have to take this a grain of salt because it doesn't mean the person should just say this. And that's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of appreciating and, and knowing what to say and, and knowing what not to say. Um, you know what? I, I, I'm going to stop here. 
I would like to do a part two, um, but for now, get hold of this book. There's a tremendous amount of chachma and love and beauty in it, and I'm a very big fan, and I think I hope you will enjoy. I will try to do a part two, Bezer Hashem, later this week, and um, we should be able to take the lessons of Rav Shmuel Arbach and live a life of Torah and mitzvahs.